After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Mind rolling and we're back and it's a we today and we harks back to my my partner David Silver who is making an appearance again on Mind Rolling and of course many of you know that uh, David and I started Mind Rolling and David's been hard at work on uh, on a wonderful book and some other projects uh, and so he is infrequently maybe a little more frequently hopefully joining me to do the podcast. David, good morning. Welcome. Uh, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, more welcome. That's always nice to be more welcome. You don't hear that all the time. Most of the time, but not all the time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ready to roll my mind. You and, uh, <laughs> and we, we have quite a bit to talk about this morning. So uh, good morning, or it's just about afternoon yes. on the East Coast where we both abide. Yes, yes. And uh, and since I have you here, it makes things a little bit easier for me in terms of uh, introducing, and I haven't done this, Dave, in a long time, uh, which is just uh, give some prompts to people about Amazon. We're in a new year here, and of course the podcast network uh, is counting on everybody's support in this new year, and one of the best ways, as we've said in the past, is to... Uh, just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and bookmark the Amazon link. Um, and uh, that way, every time you order, of course, we'll get uh, a little percentage. But if enough people do it on a regular basis, and regular basis is the keyword, uh, then uh, it really goes a long way to support what we're doing at the network and uh, all the teachers and so on, which I'm not going to belabor. But if... Uh, if you go to Be Here Now Network, you can see, and we've been adding on new people, um, that, uh, uh, and we are continuing to do so to give an more, even more variety to our podcast network. So uh, keep checking that out. Join, and, and by the way, give us your email. Go up there and put your email in, and you'll get all sorts of announcements of beautiful things that we have coming. But um, I, uh, David, uh, in, this is uh, how we've had such a, a great time over the years. Uh, introducing each other to uh, wonderful uh, books and music, especially because that's uh, David and my favorite thing. Um, but David just introduced uh, something to me uh, yesterday, just randomly on a phone call. I said, well, let's share this with everybody. Can you share that? Uh? Oh, um, this was a Christmas present to me, actually. And it's a new edition of the of the Tao, Tao Te Ching. And um, it's very small, can fit in a medium-sized pocket, and it's uh, written or edited or translated, or however you want to, I guess translated, by a man called Jonathan Gold, I think. I'm having problems because I, I can't see his name here, but uh, I'll check that before the end. Um, yeah, it's translated by, no, I, let me take that back. It's Jonathan Starr. It's even better name. <laughs> Star, Jonathan Star. Gold. And the reason it's got some significance to me is that it's, it's written in very simple um, but profound English. And, and doesn't have that sort of weighty scholastic thing, which we always put down, but it has its use, you know. I mean, we all need that kind of um, depth also. But this is written in such a way that it just cuts right through, and every single verse has got some real significance. Mm -hmm. um, and I picked one out uh, because we're, for those of you that are listening to this um, soon or later or in the 22nd century, 
Uh, uh, we're about three days away from the inauguration of uh, Donald J. Trump. And um, I think part of this podcast, Rago, is going to be about some experiences we've had and some thoughts that we have about that, uh, which hopefully won't just echo in this echo chamber of both sides, uh, mm. but we'll try and give some insight. I've been reading what Ramdas has been saying about it, mm. as always. Incredibly helpful, um, you know, without um, bias or rancor, remarkable consistency of all his life, um, and and very helpful. But the Tao is also helpful, and and because it, it the perspective it gives us all in our life and is so so crystal clear. So I, I want to recommend this book, Tao Te Ching, by translated by Jonathan Starr. Um, and, and, you know, if you haven't ever read it, this is a good way to start. And then you can maybe get into the more, you know, the scholastic versions. So that's my little recommendation for this week. Are you going to read that little? Something? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a little rusty, you know. Um, okay. Uh, this is actually verse 26. And I think applies to the situation that we've been experiencing for 18 months from this uh, real estate developer. Um, verse 26. The inner is foundation of the outer. The still is master of the restless. The sage travels all day. It never leaves his inner treasure. Though the views are captivating and beg attention, he remains calm and uninvolved. Tell me, does the lord of a great empire go out begging for rice? One who seeks his treasure in the outer world is cut off from his own roots. Without roots, he becomes restless. Being restless, his mind is weak. And with a mind such as this, he loses all command before heaven. Mm. Digest that for a second. Yeah, really. What do you think about that, Rogan? Well, the last line says it all, doesn't it? He loses all command before heaven. And it reminds me um, of one thing. When we were in India with Neem Karoli Baba, at one point he started talking about uh, U.S. presidents. <laughs> God only knows, you know, how this uh, this inordinately... <laughs> otherworldly being in some senses, right, in the middle of the Himalayas, right, had all, of course, he had uh, all knowledge, but still it was pretty, it was pretty interesting, and he said to us, and particularly to Ramdas, so, Abraham Lincoln, he was a great president, wasn't he? Ramdas said, yeah, that's true, Maharaji. He, and Maharaji said, he really knew that God was president. Mm. That's why he was a great president. Mm. Right? And so this uh. this thing you just read, of course, really connects with the, That's why it reminded me so much of this. And um, uh, to, I think to some degree, maybe nothing as exalted as Abraham Lincoln uh, but uh, Obama had some sense of uh, not being completely wrapped up in his ego and that he was in control of everything and had some sense of an of an inner quality that uh, that he could connect to. I mean, I have that, and because he was such a humane, he is such a humane person and seemingly caring person. So, yeah, so that's what I think. Uh, so this uh, this is a great. Uh, um, new version of, of this book and uh, this is a very famous book from thousands of years what a couple of thousand years ago or something maybe 1500 years ago something like that right yeah the I'm Dao. not sure forever yeah, yeah. no because you know this has been a, a it's been an on our uh, reading tables so to speak uh, since we were kids getting into the eastern uh, philosophy and so on so this is uh, this will be on uh, on the BeHereNowNetwork dot com slash mindrolling, and you'll be able to go there. And and so, 
we have a few recommendations yeah for amazon that i wanted to mention and we uh, particularly and david and i talked about this this is more of a fun thing not such a serious thing but the stones new blues album is fantastic and david was telling me he just downloaded it i've been listening to it as a stream and uh highly recommend y'all you know, get it one way or the other. Of course, we'd love for you to just purchase. Because, yeah, show the, the the physical thing is really cool. <laughs> Blue and Lonesome is the name of the record. It's worth having the physical. So go out and get that. Um, Dave, do you also, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but Robbie Robertson has a new memoir that um, oh. I have not read yet, but I am. it's next on my thing after the Springsteen memoir, which I, I'm not quite finished, but think is one of the best uh, rock and roll memoirs that I have read to date. I mean, Keith Keith Richards was great as well. And uh, so, yeah, those are a few things. Again, it really goes a long way to helping us uh, support yeah, us, the, the yeah. whole uh, uh, Amazon thing. It's really the, there's donate, you can donate, you can do this, you can do that. But the Amazon thing, because everybody does that on a weekly basis, and I know you, you know, there's people out there who listen to more than one podcast, for sure, and so, uh, obviously, share. <laughs> That's all I can say. A little yeah. bit for Duncan Trussell, a little bit for Mind Rolling. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, just to talk about the Stones for a minute, I, I, people have complained for decades about uh, Mick Jagger's mannerisms and and they are a little bit odd sometimes and and you know it is difficult to maintain a 55 year career and people should sort of appreciate that even for millionaires but on this album blues blue and lonesome he go they go back to their roots and he's singing the blues very powerfully i think and it proves something he said many years ago when he was about 27 i saw an interview in england when they said to him well you know blues guys do, they're old now, you know, I mean, are you going to be doing what you're doing when you're old? And he said, absolutely, absolutely. And that was 50 years ago yeah. because that, the, the blues are a deep, uh, integral part of, of, of rock musicians' um, work, and they do it very well uh, with no, I don't think with any patronizing or condescension to the form. They really try and do it the way it should be done. And they rehearsed for a couple of days and did the album in three days. That's unbeknownst these days, yeah. to do an album Especially in three for days. Them. You know? So we recommend it because it, it is fun, and it's also got some depth to it. So mm. There you go. I have another recommendation, Robert, oh, which I didn't do. mention to you. Yeah, a book I've been reading recently by a guy called Timothy Freaky, uh, spelled F-R-I-E-K-E, I believe. It's called The Mystery Experience. And Tim Freaky is an Englishman who lives in Glastonbury, of all places. Mm. And uh, he's a, what he calls a stand-up philosopher and travels the British Isles and other places doing stand-up only on philosophy. And the, um, the main recommendation on the back of the book is by Ram Dass, uh, mm. who loves this book. And I adore this book. Really? And I, I came to it by accidentally looking at Tim Freaky uh, on YouTube. I don't know what sent me there, probably some Facebook comment and um he's a wonderfully witty and normal sort of person but brilliant and the book is just so helpful uh, because of its ability to talk about you don't need to know the meaning of life to either enjoy it or investigate it mm. what you well, what he suggests is is wonder the wonder of the mystery rather than the wonder of of you know amazing obvious things you know, miracles all that but you know it sort of ties him in the miracle of love really that uh, the the most common thing we have is love, hopefully, and we take it for granted, and we don't sometimes think that it is in in essence a, a miracle. And Tim Freaky talks about everything uh, being a mystery and a miracle, so that you don't get worried um, if you don't um, if you don't know everything, which of course none of us do. And if sometimes you just are wrapped up in a kind of a confusion about why are we here and what are we doing here and all this incredible iniquities on the planet and war and all all this stuff mm. uh he says don't worry about that just get into the mystery that the mystery itself is exciting mm. and don't get uptight about not knowing what ramakrishna knows or or martin luther king jr knew uh, we all know what we know and if we can just relax a little bit and sort of start to enjoy the mundane 
uh, as well as the um, stunning. And it's just a very helpful book. I love this book. Mm. And it's called The Mystery Experience. Wow. Again, okay. you can get it on Amazon, um, you know, and we all win on that, even though people say, well, bookstores don't win. But they do, because the only way you can get this mystery experience is by getting it from a bookstore uh, via Amazon. You know, you've got that sort of connection with Amazon. And I got it for very little, and it was brand new, which was amazing. Mm. Uh, I think I paid about $7 or something. Oh, really? Oh, so check it out. Check I'm going to get it. Are you kidding? And that sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great book. All right. Well, now referring back to uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, just back up what I said about the mystery, but by a quote from Robert Frost, which helps. And it's a short quote. He says, "We dance around in a ring, and suppose, but the secret sits in the middle, and knows." So the Tao, uh, the knowledge that the ascended masters have naturally knows but we're not necessarily meant to know and there that axis is called faith mm. and uh, I, I've just become very enamored of this bringing down to earth um, you know spirituality if you like and helping us understand that just you know doing everything as the Zen people used to say washing the dishes is as enlightening as a conversation of high exalted content yeah. if you really are doing it, yeah. you know. And so I think Suzuki said that, but I'm not sure. Mm. Well, this is a bit of, uh, it's a good segue into our, uh, some of the meat of what we wanted to talk about today. And David's already mentioned, of course, that at the end of uh, this uh, few days from this podcast, release, which will happen a few days before the Trump inauguration, um, we will be set onto a course of, uh, shall we say, maybe pretty difficult times one way or the other. And uh, how do we maneuver through these times in as conscious a manner as possible? And, y and, and yet, at the same time, be able to do the things that we all have to do as citizens in whatever small ways that we can or larger ways that some others of us can and uh, to to really counter the uh, the issues that are going to be executed by this president and potentially this Congress now uh, David I I don't remember if I told you this, but David and I were having trouble doing this podcast over the last couple of days, technical trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in the midst of it, while he was uh, trying to figure it out, my uh, granddaughter, okay, I have a six-year-old granddaughter named Zoe, and she rang me up. And because this this is kind of what we were going to talk about on the podcast, so I said to her, well, what do you think about Trump and everything? And so she basically came, you know how how they say, you know, the words of wisdom that can come from a child are sometimes staggering, right? Mm. So you know what she said? I, don't, I, didn't, tell you, I didn't tell you this. No, I'm she dying said, to hear. <laughs> she said, first of all, I said, what do you think of him? Well, my family's not very into him. And I said, well, you must have your own opinion. <laughs> and she said, well, he's... The interesting thing she said at first, she said, you know, he's pretty random. Like he was giving a speech. This is a six-year-old. And suddenly a baby was crying, and he started talking about the baby and how, oh, that baby's <laughs> going to grow up to be a construction worker or something. It was like, he just does these random things, you know. She noticed his his ADD distraction craziness. And mm. then she said, well, he's mean. Mm. And I said, well, that's, you know, he certainly has said mean things. And she said, and she also referred to the racist thing. She was upset that he had made racist remarks. And, said, uh, and then she said, Here, here's the, the kicker. She goes, you know, I hope that he, he, he becomes a little nicer oh. so that we can all feel, what, feel safe, she said. She wants to feel safe. If he could just be a little nicer, then we could feel safe. But not too nice because we don't want him here for the whole eight years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know how we follow this. This is, this is incredible. Yeah, I know. I, I actually recorded it, too. I'm putting it out as a blog on Be Here Now Network. I thought it's a little indulgence since it's my grandchild, but I thought it was so astute that I had to do it. You know, yeah, if he could just be just something to not make us feel so unsafe, you know. But I think what um, I had a conversation with you, Dave, uh, some time ago, and you mentioned something that struck me. Now, I, uh, as you know, and maybe all of you listening, I, I hope you have checked out uh, the podcast, or it was a video podcast, uh, that I did with Ramdas on his channel here at Ramdas Here and Now. And uh, we addressed this whole issue of what's coming and. And Ramdas, of course, you know, particularly, it addressed the fear, the anger, the frustration that people are going through about this. And 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 uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there, as David mentioned. You know, Ramdas certainly has some wonderful things to to advise us all on in terms of being able to check out uh, inside ourselves the kind of reactivity that we have and what we're doing to ourselves and, and in what we're doing to ourselves is of course going to result in um, uh, being reflected on everybody around us and sometimes in not very you know skillful skillful manner so that's that's a, a real issue but one of the other things that we talked about and I don't know how many times David and I have talked about this on, on Mind Rolling, was about the polarization. Now, it is uh, obviously so extraordinarily self-evident through this election, the polarization of us and them. And um, so we, we brought that up as well. And Ramdas talked about uh, talked about deep listening, he talked about um, just the idea, which His Holiness the Dalai Lama has uh, espoused forever, uh, two things. One is um, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone deep inside wants to be happy, wants what we want. To find that common ground is extraordinarily important, another extraordinary uh, at the same time, and, and this is His Holiness talks about kindness. And so I was having this kind of a conversation with David, and he, he David, you must relate the experience you had with somebody. Oh, okay. Other. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to relate it to His Holiness, as you just mentioned it, because, mm. you know, I follow this book called The Path to, to Tranquility, which is a daily diary of quotes mm -hmm. by His Holiness. And today's, and today's January 17th, 2017, hmm. and I, I wanted to read it uh, before I, I, I answer your question, Raghu. Okay. Um, he says, it will be much more constructive if people used, tr if people tried to understand their supposed enemies. Learning to forgive is much more useful than merely picking up a stone and throwing it at the object of one's anger, the more so when the provocation is extreme. For it is under the greatest adversity that there exists the greatest potential for doing good, both for yourself and others. It's interesting that that's today's thing, and this book was written, you know, or put together maybe 10 years ago. And he's saying there, you know, what do we gain by this hatred? that we feel rising up in ourselves when we see racism and, and, and misogyny and all these things that, that uh, the real estate man has brought up. And um, <laughs> what I mentioned to Rago a couple of weeks ago is a, a sort of a, an odd experience I had on Facebook. Um, someone had written something very antagonistic to Trump, and there was a long thread of stuff of backwards and forwards between a Trump person and many liberal progressive people. Mm. And it was it was vituperative to say the least. And I'm reading it and thinking, oh my God, I don't want to read this anymore. And then I read one guy's thing and it was about healthcare. And he put down the National Health Service, the NHS in, in, in Britain. And so I, th I just felt compelled to write to this person uh, that um, my sister, my younger sister, uh, was very, very, very sick when she was 11 or 12 years old. 
and was, I mean, it was dangerous. And they well, one should, Dave, you should preface this by saying that in Britain, Great Britain, there is complete um, single payer government. Yes. It's like Medicare, just yes, like and Canada and Great Britain. Yeah, exactly. And that was instituted by the, the Labour government that came after Churchill in, in, in 1945, when Churchill was unexpectedly not, uh, was no longer prime minister. But it was actually started in 1916 or 17 by David Lloyd George, hmm. the, the, the liberal, but that's the word liberal, meaning the liberal party in, in, in England, in Britain. That far back during World War One, he started the single payer system. So I told this guy in no uncertain way that my sister had been in hospital for 11 or months, solid, a beautiful hospital in North London, and uh, the, the person that did the surgery was some kind of no, noble nobility, a mm. lord or something, and did ex an excellent job, and it was wonderful, and it cost nothing. And I, I mentioned this, and that changed Janet's whole life, my sister. And I said to him, you know, you just have to listen to me say this, uh, because it, it's a fact. I wasn't sarcastic. I was, for me at any rate, relatively <laughs> calm. And within a very short time, he wrote back. I don't have it in front of me. I wish I did. But he wrote back and said to me, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with you about free health care. But you did not insult me. You did not patronize me. In your language, you treated me like an equal. And for that, I am so grateful. Hmm. And I wish your sister great health forever. And for you, uh, Mr. Silver, uh, I wish a, a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And you're a good guy. And I'd be willing to talk with you at any time. I almost cried when I read this. Because I realized that I had in some way reached out to this person, even though I, I criticized his opinion. I did not get into this polarization thing you mentioned, Raghu. And that's not because I can't. I really can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, beyond words. Ask my partner in life about that. Not, not that I do it at her, but for the first 16 months of Trump's television stardom in this role, uh, I would frequently... Uh, say things to the television that I cannot say on this podcast. But with this guy, I didn't do it, and he really warmed to me. Mm. And it was very moving in a way, because he was very sincere, you know. And it made me understand that part of the problem here... Now, we're not saying don't criticize, don't resist. Obviously, one has to if, if, if some kind of neo-fascism creeps into government in this country. And we've seen the cabinet appointees now and the nomination process, and we see that he seems to have picked the worst people in the world, deliberately. You know, the guy in, head of energy is, is, is an imbecile, I have to say that. The guy in charge of, of the EPA has sued the EPA numerous times. The guy in charge, it just goes on and on. The yeah. woman in charge of education hates public education. It's yeah, just no, it's all anti-government, anti-regulation, anti anti-everything, you know, and that's, yeah. that's what he promised to do, and he's fulfilling that. He, he's doing it. Yeah. So it's very hard not to, but the, I think that Ramdas maybe would agree that you can do these disagreements and resist without the anger that he frequently talked about in the 60s when he, and 70s, when he was, like all of us, involved against the war and all of that, and racism and, and gender bias, all of that. He was just as involved as anybody. But he said on many occasions, Ramdas has said, I just couldn't get with the anger and the hatred. And at first, when Trump was nominated, I had that anger, and I've seen it on Facebook since that. And some people have, have got worse, not better. Mm. And I understand it. I get it. It's anger-making. But as His Holiness says, and as many other wise, wise teachers have said, it, to hate hate does not equal love. It, it just doesn't do that. And Martin Luther King, and whose celebration day was yesterday, and Gandhi and many others, but for us in America, King was Dr. King is a sacred example. He managed to not commit violence against Lyndon Johnson or Nixon or Kennedy, um, even though they fought him. Even Kennedy was not immediately, you know, I love civil rights and we're going to make it happen tomorrow. Mm. Jack Kennedy had many conversations with people about how far he could go in, in this. Uh, King just plowed on. 
with his brilliance and his gentleness and his potency as a leader. And we have that to look at now. Uh, our mutual friend Danny Goldberg has said many times recently that we've been through very dark times on this planet and in this country, in our memory. 55,000 Americans died in Vietnam, and they say over 2 million Vietnamese died. Is this that bad? Could it be? Yes. Is it? No, not yet. So this long monologue, Raga, I apologize for it, but it, it, it's just a way of saying on my part that I want to overcome my own rage mm. first. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I, I think when we talk about what you did, see, what really struck me with that person on Facebook, the way that you approached it and the talk about skillful means that you used in that moment is is a huge lesson for me, and and I'm sure for many of us that are listening, because the tendency to just knee-jerk react to all of this stuff is so powerful. And the idea of taking a pause, which you did before you wrote that note, uh, that Facebook post, whatever, back to this person about your sister, uh, that is something that we all need to just figure out. How do we take that pause so that we understand that there's a human being on the other end of this who wants what we want, who who has grown up in causes and conditions like we all have that have uh, contributed to the um, worldview that he has. And that alone should not create this, okay, us and them. We're right, you're wrong, so screw you. And we're going to rail about it. Now, I'm saying all this in a very wonderful, calm, lovely manner. And then, and, and David himself has said, um, if uh, you could only hear the things I've shouted at my television set, they're not appropriate for uh, a podcast or anything, although um, we have done that too. Uh, <laughs> I would have to admit that, um, you know, that I have gotten my rocks off by just going after what I, you know, what I felt was like tremendous um, uh, ignorance about what I felt was going to happen to marginalized people, LGBT people, to people from other countries, um, to the environment. You know, I could go on and we all could go on and on. And, and that... Uh, rage I fed you see what we do is we feed every other part of our life into what we're not happy about we feed it into this focal point so that polarization becomes even more extreme because we're polarized inside and because we're polarized inside we act righteous we we are righteously indignant and that is a very, very difficult um, um, path uh, and, and very difficult to transform those kind of um, certitudes that we have inside about how right we are about something. Uh, now, I, I think you said it best, actually, David, when you said uh, we need to work on ourselves. Why, and that doesn't mean we stop doing whatever we feel is necessary to uh, counter what we do believe is going to be causing suffering by this new government and new president. But I think that's, and that's the key, and that's what Ramdas talked about in this podcast that I did with him. Um, it's called uh, Quietness and Love in 2017. And he used that word, quietness, mm. and it came out of the blue. And it wasn't, oh, be, uh, you know, cultivate equanimity um, or be calm or there was quietness. I loved, and I loved it when he said it because it really, doesn't it really uh, create a space, that word, where just you sort of 
just sit and and I and we use the term pause. You know, what you did on Facebook was entered into a quietness where you weren't ready to just throw grenades over the other side, over the wall. And however you, I don't know how you did that, Dave, by the way. I mean, it's a, that's a tremendous accomplishment. Well, it, it, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that conscious, really. It was just that I answered it in a way that I didn't want to get into a, try. Yeah, actually, it was sort of like a, an evasive, I don't want to get into a, a you know an evil troll syndrome here with someone who's going to insult me, and I don't want to insult them. So it was sort of like a defensive measure, really, because I wanted to get my opinion across about about single payer healthcare, but I didn't want to get into a vile fight. Mm. Now I, I admit that this person, in his responses in that thread, was not a vile troll. He just stated his opinions and mm -hmm. was very firm about them. And um, you know, so but. In general, what what are we going to do if some real atrocities of some kind start happening? For instance, uh, Congress in the middle of the night last week uh, enacted a repeal of Obamacare, which according to everything I've read, if, if the House passes it too, uh, will stop the best aspects of the Affordable Care Act. The best aspects. They're not, it's not a perfect bill. We know that. But mm. the best ones are, you know, preconditioned things. The, the insurance company no longer refuse you, which is obviously surreal and immoral. What's the point of having insurance if you have a condition and you can't, you know, get insured? So that's one that's gone. The 26-year-old children being covered until they're 26, that's gone. And so many others. That can't be allowed. That can't, that, that can't stand. And I really don't mind people standing in front of, the capital or anywhere or just sending letters and phone calls and getting angry and, and saying, you know, this must not stand. Well, they're being inundated in Congress by people yeah. who have very severe conditions or preconditions that yeah. are going to lose their insurance and be in very, very severe uh, life-threatening difficulty. They are yeah. being inundated and more of that needs to happen. And that's the part of the social action that we all need to take and support. I mean, you know, obviously you and I have an opinion about this and we're expressing it on the, in this particular vehicle, Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. And, uh, but it goes, I, I want to keep going back to the fact that whenever you just hear yourself, hear your tone even rising, mm. then you got to take a pause and, mm. and create this quiet quietness inside. What are we doing? And when we do that, we are getting the opposite results, number one. And number two, we are causing suffering inside ourselves and to anyone else who's around us. And, you know, and a lot of people will go, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's good words. But, uh, you know, try and enact those. And, you know, I'd like to see you when you're not pontificating on this podcast. And you're right. You are absolutely right, because David and I have gotten into it off <laughs> off the podcast and 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 we feed each other and so on and so forth and uh but the we're trying to hear what we're saying as much as anybody else and um and I want to just uh, turn to something because uh this may be a little bit of more uh, antidotes to this uh to what we're talking about in terms of this creating the polarization um there was um uh, this wonderful article, it's called, uh, basically it's a, a neuroscience researcher uh, revealing four rituals that will make you happier. It just seemed like, first I thought it was just one of those new age things, but it's kind of it was in Business Insider, and then I thought, huh, well, it can't be that weird. And, uh, and this is from a, a man named Eric Barker, barking up the wrong tree, it's a blog. And uh, and he's got all of this uh, neuroscience research that he kind of put together. Um, and uh, there was one, I want to go over others of it, but because I think some of these other things are very useful. But I want to hit to the, the, the last one, which is touch people, is one of the things. Um, and he says, not indiscriminately, that can get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> we can talk about that other thing about touching people um, that was on part of the campaign that uh, seems that everybody forgot about that thing, right? Yeah, went away like a day. Yeah, that's crazy. The, the, gr the groping episode. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, he, he doesn't mean that, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. He's talking about hugs, hugs, 
Hugs, hugs, hugs. Yes, he's Anything talking about, we need to feel love and acceptance from others. When we don't, it's painful. And I don't mean awkward. I mean painful. Neuroscientists did a, neuroscientists did a study where people played a ball-tossing video game. The other players tossed the ball to you, and you toss it back. Actually, it was all done by computer. But the subjects were told the characters were controlled by real people. So what happened when the other players stopped playing nice and didn't share the ball? The subjects' brains responded the same way as if they had experienced physical pain. Rejection doesn't just hurt like a broken heart. Your brain feels like it's a broken leg. Now start to, start to think about that. When we talk about people who feel disenfranchised and a lot of uh, Trump's support particularly is, is people who feel you know, they don't want to know from government control anymore. They don't want to feel c continually disenfranchised from the elite, quote-unquote, west coasts of the United States, the liberals, uh, and those are the haves, and so on. And just think about rejection. There is something to it. Um, <clears throat> and, and talk about it. There's a clue to our relationship with people we don't agree with and look down on. This is a clue. Social exclusion activates the same circuitry, as we just said, as physical pain. You know, and uh, so this this activation through rejection, and just think back to yourself, Dave, have you ever, I can remember, when I read this, I remembered, yeah, like I'd be out with some kids playing ball or something, and maybe I wasn't quite as good as they were, and they eventually stopped throwing me the ball. <laughs> I mean... Can everyone remember a moment like that? Maybe it wasn't a ball. Maybe it was an intellectual uh, something, a school thing, you know, a, a spelling bee. Or, you know, God knows what it might have been where you feel rejected. And the kind of pain that we're talking about. Um, just I, I think this goes a long way to give us some kind of empathy with people that we're calling out and saying, how could you? possibly support this kind of a person and yet what has happened what what kind of causes and conditions has happened with with many people in this particular situation to make them support i mean they went ahead and i read where he was supported in some you know in some of those uh, you know those states that made the difference he was supported there were some farmers, I believe, and and he's against uh, you know some of the trade stuff that he's against. It it actually took money out of their pockets to support him, who was going to change a, you know a, a just either abrogate or abridge a trade law. I think it was for you know that would have supplemented uh, their ability to ship uh, goods uh, abroad, export. That they would have voted for him, and and not care, that would have how deeply it would have affected them. And of course, the the uh, this uh, the healthcare laws. These people, that uh, all people, all of us that are 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 uh, affected by preconditions or by not being able to get insurance and not being able to get subsidized, they are going to get affected. People who I'm talking about, people of course who voted for him. So people are actually putting that aside. Why? It must be, there must be some of this kind of emotion going on inside of, of rejection and marginalization, right? I think that, I, I think you're right. That's a very good example. Um, a lot of it was the racist undertow of Obama's presidency, that he was constantly attacked uh, by McConnell and Ryan and these other people. And as again, when I say the word Ryan, I must try and not say it with rancor. Uh, but I know in my heart that I believe that the racism was engendered by these people. McConnell said uh, when, when uh, Obama was reelected, he said that the main thing to do is to block everything he does. And that's what he did. And that's what a Republican Congress did. And the people who voted for Trump were behind that. It wasn't just Trump out of nowhere. It was Trump out of uh, a political party stating openly that they would oppose Obama for everything. And they did. And I think that caused a sort of hypnagogic reaction 
amongst those who were suffering. Now, just to get it straight, the spectrum is wide. A friend of mine um, here uh, told me that his, his, he has a group of friends who are, he sees at a, a, a golf club, and they're all wealthy, and he is a sort of progressive thinker, and he was uh, courageous enough to bring up the, the fact that he would never vote for Trump, and he was excoriated by seven men that he happened to be in a, in a room with. All of them attacked him. They were all wealthy, um, and, and, and he just knew that it was all about taxation, and it was all about that. That wasn't a racist thing. Right. But on the part of, you know, I tell you, Rago, you know, I did that film some years ago with Ang Lee up in upstate New York. And we, did, we, we, we were on location at a place called New Lebanon. And uh, New Lebanon is, is near Albany and Utica and those kind of places. And it was the most miserable environment I've ever been in. Uh, malls, strip malls that had two, two stores in them. One was called Beer and one was called Ammo. And um, <laughs> one day, Sorry. Uh, this was a, a film about Woodstock, so we needed mm. cars of 1969. And there were many men and women in those kind of places that have uh, in incredible cherry versions of those cars. It's a matter of pride and, and some art. And one day I had nothing to do, so I went into their sector of the location. There were 669 Chevys, Dodges, Oldsmobiles, everything, all in perfect condition. And all the guys, they were all guys who... Who owned them? And we got into a conversation over a couple of Heinekens. And they said to me, and this is uh, nine years ago, the time will come when those of us that have the weapons will use them if we don't get what we want. And we don't. So I asked them individually, I said, What do you do? Well, I'm a plumber, but I'm out of work. Well, what do you do? I do hand, hand, you know, handyman things for neighbors. What do you do? I'm a welder, but I have no work. Uh, I, I do occasional gardening for the richer people in Albany. And it, I went down the line with these guys. And, you know, they were the kind of guys that wear, like, leather T-shirts over their bare chest and have ponytails and look like bikers. And they were looking at me, and, you know, they, they knew me because I'd been around for five weeks by that time, and they were polite to me. But when asked, when I asked them what they felt about what was going on in the country vis-a-vis -vis politics and government, uh, they were angry and 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 couldn't wait for a time which was unbeknownst to them that it would be Donald Trump, for a time when they could, you know, just pull down this liberal veil and show themselves. And I have to say that, and, I, you know, if you don't like what I'm about to say, it's okay. I, I You know, but I thought much of what the Democrats said in this election, in the, in the you know, in the campaign, was pretty vapid. For those people, you know, what the hell was the good of, of seeing Beyonce in a, in a polka dot jumpsuit uh, supporting Hillary when these people, it just doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't mean anything to them that nobody of note in the show business world is going to be at the inauguration. They like it. They would prefer not to see you two or even Bruce. Certainly not Beyonce. They prefer not to see them because they do feel alienated from that too. And we have to understand that there is some, there's some texture there. There's some life texture there which we've ignored. Those yeah. of us that have had a little, I mean, I, you know, we're not, Roger and I are not talking from ex some exalted millionaire place or anything, but our lives are certainly not like that. We can afford Netflix. And, you know, that's, I think, what you're talking about, Roger, to some extent. And, okay, we can't just go out and hug them. That's hard because they probably push us away. But, I've seen on Facebook in the last six months an absolute relentless hatred coming from certain people that I know, who I like, who are humane people, who want to see an, an equitable society, who want to see health care for everyone, who want to see a, a, a reduction in warfare and militarism, but just hate, hate, hate yeah. over and over and over yeah. and over again. And it, it just... and um, As Danny says, our friend Danny has said many times recently, very wisely... But where's the plan? Where's the plan, guys? Hating someone, no plan. That's not a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he's right. Yeah. Um, we yeah. must, if, it's good to be act, an activist. No, Ramdas included would never say don't be an activist. But this hatred thing is just going to get it, yeah. it would end up in, in catastrophe. Yeah.
And that's where we hope to represent and what we're doing here right now with this podcast. I've been doing it with other podcasts, talking to teachers and so on. You know, how do we how do we excavate our hearts mm. so that we are not contributing to this hate? And it and it may be that we're not doing what some of the people you're seeing on Facebook and I've seen on Facebook and, and in person uh, are doing, but by even just a small tone of voice can have such a powerful effect with people. And how do we excavate that the deepest part of ourselves to make the kind of change that we just cut this polarization off? And I mean, I'm saying these words right now, and I'm like, how can I do it? You know, mm. I mean, you just, and, and it's back to practice. You've got to practice some of these things that we've talked about for the last couple of years on mind rolling that I've uh, that both of us are involved in in a day to day basis. When David, you know, brought up this wonderful book, the, the the new version of the Tao, and the and and His Holiness's books. I mean, these are the things that we need to um, to really investigate within ourselves. And it's really, uh, and that's what Ramdas was saying. This is uh, in this podcast that I did with him. <coughs> Tough, tough work. That work on ourselves. He said, what Trump is doing is providing us an opportunity to really do the kind of investigation, excavation, inner excavation. Inner excavation. I love that. Maybe you That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, you dig hard. You dig yeah. hard for this stuff, you know. I'm actually Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and Donald Trump and Pence and all these guys are our real teachers in a way. Yeah. Because they arouse in us what we thought we'd dispelled yeah and yeah. we're arousing in us what they sometimes represent absolutely and, I, I, you know one thing i wanted to say is a direct yeah. piece of advice it's something that i have done and it sounds weird at first but i'm going to say it is that for nine weeks now i have not watched the news i get my news from other sources online so it's not as if i'm ignorant of what's going on but i, I was a news you know addict for all my life and i've I cut it off no msnbc even nothing no CNN, no MSNBC, certainly no Fox, nothing. I haven't watched the nightly news for, for ages, and I certainly have not watched anything else. And it's cleaned me out. I found that my anger dispelled a lot because I wasn't looking at these, these people, these pundits, constantly rehashing over and over again. Well, is Trump going to do this, and is he going to do that, and is it, can we possibly allow normalcy, and what's behind this, and the Russians, and this, and the Pea Party, and God knows what, over and over and over again in our heads. Everything we say, everything we hear is there on that biocomputer that, that, uh, that we know we are, fundamentally underneath a spiritual you know blanket but the the biocomputer hears everything retains everything and surely affects the way we respond mm. since i've turned off the news i'm a better guy <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I definitely am i mean i just am not quite so you know so rankled up and like okay i hate these people i hate them i hate them get rid of the pundits first <laughs> get rid of the joe scarbers Get rid of them. They don't care about you. It's like supporting a, a football team or a soccer team and get angry when they lose. They don't care when you lose. So don't get so angry that, you know, that the Cowboys are out if you're from Dallas. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about them. And so you know, it's easier to say than do because as, all of this is way easier to do. But cutting out the news helps. And I, I admit it. I read the New York Times online. And I read uh, Democracy Now! and NPR and the BBC and various things and other things. And I get what's coming in. Mm. But what I don't get is that polarized arguments and fights between Kellyanne Conway and, and, and Lawrence O'Connor. I mean, just these horrible things that were going on for a year, yeah. every day, 24-7 on television, until Trump just won. <laughs> and then everybody just went, oh, my God, they were all wrong. They were all wrong. The pollsters were wrong. Nate Silver was wrong. They were all fucking wrong. <laughs> so why bother listening to them or watching them? You know as much as they do. Good point. Thank you, Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'll send you a bill. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, n- now that we we've, we've managed to stir the waters up a little bit, um, I do. Um, we we did talk about uh, the four rituals of happiness. Oh, oh yes. Um, and uh, I just want to point. So I uh, we close this podcast out with uh, mentioning the other ones because they might be helpful. I, I'll tell you, I found out one um, that it's you worry a lot. Why? In the short term, worrying makes your brain feel a little better. At least you're doing something about your problems. In fact, this is so great because I am a worrier. Worrying can help calm the limbic system by increasing activity in the medial prefrontal cortex and decreasing activity in the amalgadala. Amalgadala, I can't even pronounce Can you pronounce it? Only because someone told me, I think it's amygdala. Amygdala. See, God, I, I, I've, I've, I didn't know. It's, Someone told me. All right, that might seem counterintuitive, intuitive, but it shows that if you're feeling anxiety, doing something about it, even worrying, is better than nothing. Uh, but yes. the, ultimately, guilt, shame, and worry are not good solutions. Uh, and you know what the antidote to that is? Is gratitude. Okay, so gratitude. I, uh, I think you know, of course, uh, Mingyur Rinpoche. Uh, this incredible Tibetan monk who went uh, just recently, he just went off, uh, he he was uh, part of a very prosperous uh, monastery and was taken care of beautifully day to day and respected and he was a wonderful teacher and then he decided, this isn't getting me what I need, I need to, I, I'm just going to go and be a wandering sadhu, monk. And he went off in India and had some really pretty intense experiences because <laughs> He had never done this in his life, and there's a wonderful thing on YouTube. Just go look, Mingyur, M-I-N-G-Y-U-R, Rinpoche. Uh, um, I, just go there, and you'll find his, it's just like a 20-minute piece where he tells his story of what happened when he left the monastery and just went with nothing. He had a few coins on him. They soon evaporated, and then he found himself, having, you know, of course, begging for food and so on and so forth. He got very sick. Anyhow, he... In the end of, you know what the biggest thing he got out of this whole deal? At the end of his of this talk, it was, if I have any one thing that I can tell you and give you any advice, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing to do is feel gratitude. Gratitude that you can take another breath. Gratitude that you can eat something. Any kind of gratitude. But do that first thing in the morning. And in this article, gratitude is awesome. And it affects your brain at a biological level. You know the antidepressant Wellbutin? You've heard of Wellbutin. Boots the neurotransmitter dopamine. So does gratitude. Okay? A lot safer, too. A lot safer. Prozac boosts the neurotransmitter serotonin. So it is gratitude. One powerful of effect of gratitude, it boosts serotonin. Trying to think of things you are grateful for forces you to for, focus on the positive aspects of your life. And people are going to poo-poo gratitude. Um, even people I know have been on the path for decades, poo-poo gratitude. But you know what? This makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it, it It's just... It's it's not finding gratitude that matters. It's remembering to look for it in the first place. Remembering to be grateful is a form of emotional intelligence. I mean, that is so absolutely mm. right on. Mm. Okay, so gratitude. Mm. Uh, number two is, um, and this is, you know, uh, labeling negative feelings. So when you go through... Um, feeling horrible, it's good to go sad, anxious, angry, and that gives you a little bit of, it's mindfulness practice, really, and it's about a witness that allows you to step back, another way in which to pause your life for a moment and just step step back, and putting your feelings into words um, is, you know, labeling. It makes a big, big difference. Um, And... uh, what else? Oh, well, I, I like the other one. It's my favorite. What? It really, it really applies to me. He says, "Decide." Oh, decisions. Go, go, 
go for good enough instead of best decision ever made on earth. (laughs) You know, that sometimes you have to go, okay, this is what I can do. And, and, you know, it happens when you're, you're creating something, too. Like, I've been writing a lot recently, and sometimes I'd stop and I wouldn't write for hours or days because I couldn't find the right words. And, the, and <clears throat> someone much wiser than I, a, a, a fine writer, said to me the same thing. He said, don't stop that. Just write down what you're thinking and what you're feeling about this and write it down. If it's not great, well, so what? Later it might be or it might never be. But at least you're doing it, and that's just writing. But in terms of the way one acts with people, um, maybe you can't be hugging uh, a, a trumper immediately, but maybe you could at least show uh, a modicum of respect, and that's the good enough part of it. That's all yeah. I can do. Right. I can't hug you. Like, you I don't want to marry you, uh, but I won't. I'll do my best not to show contempt for you, even though you may be showing contempt for me. Um, Funnily enough, I wrote this post on on Facebook a, a few months ago, and I mentioned that Maharaji had said to um, Raghu and company and Krishnadas and everyone meditate like Christ, you know, and which is such a profound statement. I can't imagine one more profound. And I, I mentioned, I started off the piece with this. Boy, did I get some feedback from people? What I never, I you? never saw this. Yeah, I'll send it to you. And, and, we, and we've got to put it up on on uh, the on the page. Yeah. Well, you know, one person just was like, "What happened to you, David? What are you a Christian now?" Oh, you're, you're kidding. Praying? You know, and this is someone I knew from a long time ago. And um, I didn't respond to any of it because I thought, no, I don't, I don't want to get into this. Because what it was was that kind of snarky New York mm. thing, or Los Angeles. It was like, how could you say meditating like Christ? First of all, did Christ exist? Secondly, what is meditation? Oh. Thirdly, wait, all of this. Mm. And um, they weren't showing any respect for something that I'd said that obviously I was very deep felt. I didn't get angry. I just was disappointed, you know. That was good enough. The disappointment was good enough. As soon as you get into, that person is a complete and total jerk, and I'm never going to speak to her again, then you've lost yeah. again. Mm. And and I can't help but saying, you know, that Martin Luther King really said all these things all those years ago. Yeah. He kept saying them about you cannot win with rage and hatred. Never. You'll never win. You'll never win. You'll just lose eventually, you know. I mean, Fidel Castro, you know, destroyed the mafia-owned Batista fascist Cuba, which was a nightmare for Cubans and only a good thing for rich Americans who went there and gambled. But then instead of creating a humane society, he put a lot of political prisoners in jail and obviously exhibited a lot of incredible antipathy towards people, which worked out as being cruelty. So he took it a certain way, and then he stopped and went on you know, to be a, a reviled person in many ways. When in 1959, he certainly wasn't reviled by me as a young kid. And I thought, well, he got rid of this mm. horrible fascist state, but he didn't, he didn't maintain mm. that. And, um, you know, I guess we have to learn to do this now because we're all being confronted with this. In a few days, by the time you hear this, it will be president, real estate developer. And we, you know, the, the, the cognitive dissonance of that is actually more powerful than even hating his policies. It's just mm. seeing this guy with this particular hairstyle um, getting the oath of, oath of office from the chief justice with Obama looking on. My God, that's a test for all of us. Yeah. Are we going yeah. to stay sane or are we just going to run in the streets and, 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 and go crazy and find pitchforks? <laughs> Oh, God. As you can oh. tell, everybody, now that we're at the end of this podcast, uh, we, David and I, have a tremendous amount of work to do <laughs> to even come yeah. one uh, millimeter. Although, David, that thing you did with that guy on Facebook, that, that is a, a great, great uh, example for all of us. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that you did it. And I hope one day I can be, you know, uh, doing that when I'm not, you know, pontificating here with you on a podcast about how how we feel uh, we can get our uh, inner excavation <laughs> going and change our hearts. Uh, and uh, so we have a lot of work ahead of us, uh, certainly we too do. And I'm supposing that most people do. Um, and uh, as Ramdas said, it's tough. It's tough stuff. But do we have any choice? Mm-hmm.
Do we have no. any choice? No. So, so hey, Dave, thanks for being here now. Great. Very it's wonderful to have you back. People are always writing, where's David? So it's great that uh, every once in a while you can make an appearance here on Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. And um, let's uh, let's uh, spread more of the love than the anger out there. Okay, everybody? Yeah. And yeah. we try and follow that as well. Yeah. And we'll see you uh, next week. Yeah. Till next time. Till next time.